0: Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, them, and this is the last of our trio of interviews celebrating the Our Shores Kickstarter. Today, I'm talking to Joaquin, a Filipino writer, novelist, serialist, and game designer from the Philippines. Uh, Joaquin, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Would you mind introducing yourself further for our listeners?
1: um sure yeah thank you so much for for having me on the show as well uh, i'm Mohin. people call me wax or just like liquor canini um yeah i make i, I design games to uh pay for my food <laughs> um and and i write and i write novels i have a bunch i have uh i have a, a novel that i just published recently like self-published that i can link later on and um yeah that's that's mostly for deductions at least
0: yeah wonderful thank you so much um so for those that aren't aware the outshores kickstarter is this uh kind of collaborative no i'm not even sure if collaborative is necessarily the right word it's kind of a compilation of three large role-playing games and then uh a role-playing game, uh, zine with some shorter, uh, smaller scope, uh, projects. Um, and you, are one of the people behind one of those three large projects. Uh, do you mind telling us more about yours? It's probably the one I'm the most excited about. I've been (coughs) following it for so long, as long, I I feel like at least a year.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm the one behind Maharlika, uh, the writer and designer for Maharlika RPG. Uh, Maharlika is a techno-mystic science fantasy mecha RPG. Um, so it, it, it takes after games like Battletech or Lancer, um, wherein you have uh, sort of like a pilot, me- pilot mechanics or like narrative and this like mecha tactical combat. Um, because I'm a I'm a huge fan of like tactical mega games like Front Mission and Xenogears. I don't know if that's tactical, though But anyway, um. So yeah, that's that's Maharlika. It's a uh, it's born out of my love for for Japanese robot shows. Um, it's been in development technically for yeah for for a year now. Um, it's open beta. Is like has been out for a year since twenty two since. 2019, I think, like the late end of 2019. So it's been out, and people have been have been looking at it and it's in school.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I've been really enjoying um because you're I've been really enjoying the uh, visual art that has been coming out alongside that as well. Is that uh, your work or is that the work of your uh, partner on this project?
1: Right. Yeah. So all almost all of the art that you see connected to Mahariga that we've been posting is from uh, my partner, my artist partner in the in the project. Uh, his name is Misael, Misael, Manning, but we just call him Gio. And uh, he share he's st- he similarly shares a love for Japanese big robots. <laughs> um, and he's also a Filipino, he lives in Canada. Um, so we've been, you know, we've been working together on this project and hopefully um, you know we can create something that people like.
0: Yeah. Um, The visual art that's been coming out for it is really interesting because it's um, kind of like, or of what what I have seen of it, a lot of it is kind of like 3D modeling sort of looking stuff, as opposed to like more traditional paint or pencil looking kind of uh, art. And so I think it really stands out. It has a kind of... It reminds me weirdly of the um, animated uh, Iron Man show, uh, Armored Adventures, where there's oh, really yeah, yeah, yeah. detailed mechanics to the to the CGI'd armor. Um, yeah. There's kind of a similar quality to it uh, about that. Um, you mentioned uh, that your game has kind of um, not not a split focus but you have the tactical combat uh thing and then did you also say that you were going for a kind of more narrativist pilot play or did i misunderstand
1: um yeah so there is a kind of split between tactical combat and uh, narrative play um the narrative play part you know it, it works more or less like uh blades in the dark where they're in there is like a split between like downtime and adventuring or missions um, and then there's like a further split between when you, you go into tactical combat, um, and when you're just a pilot, um, doing, you know, your pilot stuff. Um, so as a, ma- as a Maharlika, so yeah, it's, it's split between Maharlika and Mecca uh, games. So Mecca is the, of course, the tactical combat side uh, on the hex and on the grid. Um, while Maharlika is more the narrative side that focuses on <clears throat> the interactions of the play, of the players. With the world, with, the, with NPCs, with each other, um, and, you know, consequences from their actions, which sometimes might be, you know, which might feed into tactical combat um, and stuff like that. There is a sort of loop, not, not loop, but like narrative obviously feeds into the tactical combat as well, um, because there's like aspects of tactical combat, such as Pagsasapi, um, which is kind of like a corruption mechanic in the game. So that whenever you, um, you, kind of, you can kind of overheat your mech to do more stuff. Um, but when you overheat your mech, there's like lore behind it. The lore is that since the, the thing that's powering your mech is a Dewata, which is like a nature god or nature spirit. Um, whenever you, you overheat your mech, you're actually giving in a bit more to the power of the Dewata. Since the Dewata is like a nature god, it has almost boundless power, boundless energy. Um, so as you overheat your mech more, the more the Dewata has control over you and over your mech, um, which is called Paksasapi, which translates directly into possession in English. Um, and then during uh, Maharlika gameplay and then downtime, there would be uh, parts where you would have to, you know, connect with your fellow humans to regain your sort of humanity, to remove some of that possession of the Dewata, to remember that, you know, as a Maharlika, you are still human. You shouldn't. You shouldn't let the the power of the mech basically uh, overpower you, kind of like that. So that's kind of like the that's kind of like one of the loops that we have in the game, wherein you know the you know, what you do in the mecha combat can impact what you what your maharlika might come out as. There's certain, there's sort of like an adage. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I put it in the game yet, but it's like you know once you walk into once you enter into the into the mech the one who comes out is not the same it's kind of like that
0: right i mean i'm here for that 100 percent. that sounds really amazing uh you've ov- obviously throughout that conversation or throughout yeah that conversation you were mentioning these um supernatural kind of uh i guess there is no better word for it than techno mystical aspects um and that's a really like big part of the game, isn't it? This kind of, um, almost arcane science kind of thing. Uh, Hmm. do you mind telling us more about like why you are drawn to that kind of a thing? Um, I know Hmm. that for myself, I've had this passion project for a while that I've been trying to work out, which is using the language of, um, Uh, fictional hacking, like we see in movies and stuff for describing magic and trying to come up with something where magic is described like computers and machines and stuff. Oh
1: yeah. That's Um,
0: right. So like, uh, I'm, I'm very keen for like, what are the things that excite you about this kind of techno mystic uh, (coughs) concepts?
1: All right. So um, I've always, I guess it, it, kind of did start with like i I really like the sort of science fantasy aesthetic um of of games like well no not games but like you know of stuff uh, like um you know kill six billion demons uh there's like jupiter ascending the stuff that mobius puts out um yeah yeah mostly those actually and uh that kind of like strange blending of, of tropes uh, of genre conventions um that you would see you know in, in like new weird stuff like um a The Street Station by China Mayville and uh Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. Um those those have like you know stuff that science not exactly can't explain but like science tries to c- categorize and it's it it vehemently Fights back against that categorization, um, and and that sort of you know that sort of weirdness is something that I I really connect with. It's you know it, that slipstream sort of you know some would say edgy kind of uh, aesthetic and 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 design principle is something that I really that I really like. You would see um, <clears throat> in 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 Kill Six Million Demons, you would see like airships powered by uh little little demons you know little devils, stuff like that um and that's that's i I really like that aesthetic and i think um i you know having it with uh with mecha with like magic mecha it's kind of like my in my trajectory was kind of like my epic my apex of that of that aesthetic it's like um You know, mecha are usually connected with, like, technology since they're all, like, mechanical and stuff like that. So what if, you know, they became, like, more magic-based, like, knights or something like that? Uh, They would be armor and stuff like that. So it really is, um, the reason why I really got into it is because I didn't really like all the conventional, um, you know, fantasy that I've already seen, Um, you know, in general, stuff like you know uh, Heragon, Um You know I, I love I love Tolkien's Lord of the Rings though That's like uh, That's like a, You know Like a, a platonic idea Of like The western fantasy So I, I like it It's it's all good But like You know All the derivatives <laughs> That came from it are, are something that That I really grew Tired of Really quickly It doesn't help That I grew up Mostly on like Sci-fi films Because my dad I really liked sci-fi mm. So um, I was really into like robots and, and aliens and, and stuff like that. Uh you know, Star Wars was a huge um inspiration on me when I was growing up. And as I grew up, I started thinking that they're really not exploring their sort of you know, their their aesthetic, their setting more mm. um, than they than they should have. You know, it it still feels like classic space opera when it it could definitely go way beyond that, like way into like,
0: I definitely agree that uh, I, I think someone else has said this before. I don't think I am unique in uh, saying this, but there is, I think that the majority of people that love Star Wars, love the promise of what Star Wars could be more than the actual product there's so much more interesting things that could be going on in that fiction um that they just don't deal with um at all like yeah yeah. um and there's so much left on the table um in that in those narratives
1: if i remember correctly george lucas i think it was george lucas or maybe it was some other guy from the team uh, they were also inspired by mobius's works i think uh when like designing like the first hours at least that's why the cantina the cantina scene was uh sort of like um stood out so much because it it looked like it could be like a scene from from a mobius Hmm. comic strip or like Administration. so no, no i mean issue.
0: i used to be a big june uh fanboy so that's right, yeah that's where i know mobius from from mobius's june concept yeah, stuff yeah.
1: oh man those are which good. is
0: so out there and wild compared to um anything that we've gotten for june even yeah. then <laughs> like the official artwork that you know um frank herbert like supervised or whatever like even Mobius' stuff is even further uh, out right. there yeah yeah
1: like Mobius' stuff is good
0: i think that is like a cool thing about mobius's work is that often it's like taking someone else's idea and building on it in a way that that person couldn't have done um yeah. and yeah i mean and then obviously the uh, there's just so much definitely if you've not if you're not familiar with mobius the the artist and illustrator um and this is your first time hearing about them. Definitely go and check out their work. It's, it's yes, pretty fantastic. For stuff.
1: sure, the the Mobius kind of like vision of Dune was. It's like you know, it's it's on my Pinterest boards because it's 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 one of the in, the things that did inspire sort of the overall aesthetic of Mahalika as well. Um, because you know, it is about like uh, it is about like technically like mercenaries, but I a lot of the language I use is actually pre-colonial. Land oh, nice. In the Philippines. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, maharika is a, a pre-colonial term for the warrior caste in Tagalog societies. Um, the the sort of the CEOs and, and the lords and the rich people of the megacorporations are called datu, you know, stuff like that. The slaves are called alipin. Um, some of the drones are are termed alipin because they're like, you know, <laughs> robot slaves. Oh, There's, yeah. that. There's
0: that concept in... Um... Uh, computer science of um, of slaving something where it is like um, directly um, tethered to and replicating the inputs of another device. All right. Yeah. Um, which you just reminded me of then. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm, yeah. Cool. I like that they use those terms. For those <laughs> things. That's really cool. Um, so. You were talking a little bit about the world there um, and the world building to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. You have a kind of my understanding is you have a created galaxy called the Archipelago. Am I yep. pronouncing that correctly? Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, which is that? Is that a fictionalized? imagining of our galaxy or is it a whole new galaxy in a sort of a star warsy way or a battle tech way
1: yeah definitely star wars way. it's a galaxy far far away
0: yeah so it's not uh, our galaxy it's a it's a different galaxy
1: yeah exactly yeah. um and it's you know it's it doesn't even kind of conform to modern physics uh so i'm like, here for that yeah and like in the middle of the galaxy is like a secret. God or whatever that people don't know about and stuff like that. Um, if you move farther away from the middle of the galaxy, you move farther away from the life rays of that God. So, oh. like, y- you know, there's less people at the edges of the galaxy. And, you know, it's, it's a great way to do, like, uh, narratives where we tackle uh, consequences of poverty and stuff like that. Like, poor people in the in the galaxy would be living near those edges so they are living at like the most extreme parts of the galaxy and they would be right because
0: i guess if there's less life rays then that also means things like crops and stuff and i mean even just biospheres are gonna be more strained
1: yep exactly um additionally there is also you know the the life those life rays kind of like they power, not power, but like they give life to like humans and, and the aliens that live in the galaxy. But then there are also like um, aliens from other galaxies that don't depend on those life rays that are coming in from outside the galaxy. And they're like one of the main sort of threats actually to the setting as well.
0: I was going to say there was something in there about Xeno. I remember reading on the Kickstarter. There was Xeno beings.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used Zeno beings because, like, if I remember correctly, Zeno is, like, for
0: uh, outsiders. Like, it means outsiders. Yeah, Zeno means foreign, so...
1: Yeah, yeah, foreign. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I termed them Zeno beings because they're, like, beings from outside the galaxy. Um, and if you look at a bit of the lore that's already in the beta, you would see that um, humanity in the current age, in the modern age you know, isn't humanity now in 2021. You know, like, some of them might be different. Some of them might be the aliens that you'd see on Star Trek, stuff like that. Um, But they're all sort of still banded together under humanity, right? So...
0: Kind of reminds me of, weirdly, there's a thing in uh, one of the, (laughs) the, like, newer seasons of Doctor Who. There's an episode where they're talking about how... Humanity went out into the stars and intermingled with all these alien races. And so now there's all these like new subsets of humanity. It's on an episode that's about like human supremacists and people who want to like bring back pure humans instead of these weird new humans. But like within uh. the un- within the fiction of that episode, those like new humans are still considered humanity by the kind of like pluralistic pl- human government so oh, yeah, i yeah. don't know that's just me thinking of other fiction with a similar concept um i'm here for i'm here for alien humans i'm about it <laughs> um i um. wanted to ask uh some questions about um I guess for lack of a better phrase what are the are there kinds of mechs so obviously in lancer and battletech you are normally making taking a pre-existing mech and maybe you're customizing it or maybe you're playing it as is is that similar here or is there a different uh system in place
1: yeah um definitely i i I like how how Lancer and then BattleTech did them. So uh, there's a very similar approach here in, in Maharlika um, wherein you know the mechs that you would get are from the five main mega corporations, mostly because they're the only ones that have like the resources to make uh, these mecha, these neogen mecha. Because you know, making one of these mecha would require not just like mechanical engineering, but also spiritual engineering. Because you would need like dewata to, mm. to chain them in, and then you would need shamans to calm the dewata down and and give them offerings so that they would uh, become the systems for the mecha. Um, <clears throat> so there are different kinds of mech. You you would take like a frame from one of the um, from one of the. Uh, what do you call this from the me- one of the mega corporations and then you would attach like um, you would attach you know systems and, and weapons to that frame um, from you know from other me- mega corporations you know basically making your own uh, mecha so yeah it does take on, on Lancer on that on that front uh, although it doesn't have like license levels it just you can just buy anything uh, that you want as long as you know you have a good sort of Rapport with that mega corporation that's like one of the most important things, yeah. Um, and the uh, what do you call this? Uh, Every time you buy something, uh, from that system from the from a mega corporation, you would rise, you wouldn't have to pay for it, but you would rise in debt to that to that corporation. Um, since you are a maharalika, you're kind of like a state sanctioned mercenary, so um, you you have like special rights that you can get whatever you want as long as you can as long as you have enough sort of good relationship with that with that um with that mega corporation. Right. Um so that's one of like the main advancement and slash balancing mechanics of the of the game is that um you have a C cut, which kind of means fame or glory, uh to each of the five mega corporations and in that C cut you would um you cannot have more utang utang is debt sorry I use a lot of like Filipino terms here uh, I
0: okay. I think that's fucking sick I mean so I mean I don't want to break your stride so I will I'll put a pin in this thought but we should circle back uh, into why I am here for uh, all this uh, all these terms that you're you're slinging
1: definitely alright uh, yeah but yeah so your seeker is kind of like a limit to how much utang you can incur so for example if you have like two C-cut, you can't have more than two utang um, because, you know, you're not, you don't have a good enough relationship or you don't have a good enough um, or the megacorporation doesn't have enough trust in you, in your abilities and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, whenever you buy an agreement from a megacorporation, you would need to gain utang from, to them, like incur utang to them. So that's kind of like a main balance mechanic. And, you know, the, the whole loop of the game is all about um you know it, it takes on armored core where you would get like uh the means to buy more equipment through missions and stuff like that that's why there's no strict like advancement mechanic in the game there's le- there's no levels or whatever um it's all just utang and sikat and you know and utang and sigat and then like everyone going on missions and stuff like that so yeah
0: yeah cool um Circling back to uh, what we just flagged as that language thing, um, you went to apologise for those terms, and I, I wanted to mention that so many um, games, be they fantasy or I, I think we often see this in role playing games, where with a uh, sci-fi or um, space opera type games, often have like, uh, what is the word jargon? I mean, game role-playing games in general have jargon and often will not explain it, but then we also see more so than jargon, unique lexicons where names for things are different. Um, but it's not just that their names are different. It's also that we're having a different meaning. So like the names you've chosen for things, obviously there's a translation, that can be given there but you've chosen those words to evoke certain things in your own uh, language as well so it's not just that a, a it was a datu right it was the head of a corporation
1: all right
0: yeah yeah it's not just that a, a datu is the head of a corporation there's a bunch of other things going on there that's why they have are using that that's why they have <laughs> that name rather than just ceo yeah um, exactly. uh, so which is all to say that i think that that's really uh i think that that's really cool we should see more stuff like that like i'm so here for that that's so amazing that's such a cool aspect of your your game um uh i'd love to know if you have any more you want to add on that thought
1: um yeah definitely i did use like old terms um because there's like an underlying theme about how uh you know modern Philippine politics isn't too much different from old Philippine politics there's still a sort of neo-feudal um you know not not just a tinge it's actually you know very neo-feudal uh in the Philippines you know where um it's not it's not even like correctly capitalist stuff like that um so um I kind of wanted to make that a thing in the in the game, like one of the main things. One of the main impetus for for Maharlika was that you know, other than Filipino spirit robots, um, was that if I used Maharlika as a term to denote the mercenaries, I would be implying that the the galaxy is feudal in nature, even though it has like mega corporations and stuff like that, um, because you know, and even until now you know, the current Philippine political landscape is still feudal, still neo-feudal, and we're still beholden to our colonizer overlords and stuff like that. So I think that's something that would obviously fly over the heads of many non-Filipinos and maybe even some Filipinos as well. Um, But it's, you know, it's it's definitely there and it's easy enough to be like, um, to be like just a thematic choice to some people that it doesn't bother them. You know, stuff like that um you know that kind of meme where you go like wow cool cool yeah cool robot then,
0: cool yeah yeah, yeah 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 yeah.
1: and then it just flies over
0: yeah you're talking like, you're yeah. talking about the um uh, the cool robot meme which is i think has its origins in a gundam meme i think so um right? where it's got you know the gundam holding sitting there and shooting its gun and it's got like all the themes of gundam there like the anti-war stuff and um and all mm. of that and i mean to a lesser extent and anti-capitalist stuff to a mm. degree although less strong but definitely right. anti-war and then it's got a person looking directly at the robot and not looking at the themes and saying oh wow cool robot The
1: robot, yeah
0: <laughs> And we see that like meme adapted to I've seen it for Warhammer and, yeah, um, yeah. and obviously for Cyberpunk, uh, the 2077, the, yeah, yeah. the shitty video game that just came out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fuck, fuck that game. Fuck the people that yeah. made that game. Uh, mm-hmm. hate it. I hate it so much.
1: <laughs> it's not even, it's not even a good game.
0: <laughs> it's not even a good game. It's definitely not punk. Um, <laughs> uh, that's actually an interesting point we've kind of talked already a little bit about um this but i feel like obviously all art is political what definite. political feelings do you think you have put into this work um you and your your partner
1: oh uh,
0: or yeah. definite or, or maybe a better way to phrase that question would be what political message do you hope people take away from your game oh.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I, I, am I'm, I'm, I think I'm well known enough to as as a as a game designer that really doesn't shy away from putting in like principles and politics into into my games. Like, if you look at Karanduun, that's an entire like anti-colonizer game. Like, it's that's the basis of the game. Um, it's kind of hard to avoid it. Um, as well as you know, Mahalika, obviously. You know i already said that the main impetus for that was how much i how much how neo feudal the sort of current um political landscape is and how much i you know how much i hate it so i used it as my big robot game um setting to sort of satirize it like this i, I really like doing that like satirizing aspects of, of modern philippine culture mm. um because you know at this point it's just it's just such a joke like the current Philippine politics, um, so yeah, yeah. It, it, it's 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 actually like a low-hanging fruit at this point because it's so easy to make fun of. But anyway, uh, but yeah, um, hopefully, you know, when 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 people play the game, I I don't have like uh, hopes for any like political takeaways at least hmm. in the game. Um, it's just I think as they go on playing the game I think it's easy enough to uh, sort of feel the baked in um, baked in politics of of the system itself wherein you know you are beholden to the whims of the mega corporations in the game um, you know if you if you lose all your C in like a mega corporation, you can't take missions from that mega corporation anymore. Um, and if you lose all your at in all the mega corporations, you become, you know, disenfranchised. You become one of like the, basically like one of the untouchables of the society. You can't play your maharlika anymore. You have to make another one. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, I think I think that's strong enough in the in the mechanics to come across to the ones that are playing it, you know, sort of like the themes of the game of how, you know. Sure, you are pilot a mecha, But like you're whenever you pilot it, you're giving up a part of your soul to an unknowable god entity that probably hates you. And um and whenever you do a pilot a mecha, you're doing jobs for mega corporations that only want you for your for the function that you that you um that you deliver and not for you know your intrinsic value as a human being um, i
0: i'm reminded of a, a quote from one of my favorite gundam series gundam unicorn um we are combat units called pilots um which is in a wider context referring to the fact that a pilot for a, a mech is just a component of the machine and that right, if they didn't yeah. need uh pilots then they wouldn't have them um yeah. they are they're they yeah and you i feel like you're kind of touching on that there yeah, with exactly. the these are you're a component of the machine to to the corporations that are that are using you
1: yeah definitely uh, oh yeah that does that, that remind me that i should finish unicorn i'm like halfway through it
0: oh uh, man <laughs> i fucking love yeah. unicorn uh my yeah Oh, I love Unicorn. It's so good. Uh, uh, Unicorn gets gets more like kind of mystical uh, as it goes on. Yeah, it does. And I definitely definitely think there's an unintentional message in Unicorn of um, uh, the barrier between the artificial and the natural is an unnatural barrier that is not existent. If that makes okay. sense, it right. is. Yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah. There's this bit where um, they're talking about like new types and cyber new types, yeah, and they yeah. talk about how the how the uh, Unicorn Gundam because it's a machine, it cannot see the difference between what is uh, n- uh, natural and what is unnatural. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. maybe that's because there's no difference. And then at like the end of the the series, I'm like, yeah, I feel like you've just Unintentionally <laughs> confirmed my opinion that uh, that there is no difference, but that's also like in line with my belief that things we deem unnatural are in fact expressions of nature. Like we think of yeah, we often it's think like of them. cities as being these unnatural things, but ants build cities that are way more complex than right. human yeah. cities ever are. And it's like, how come? You, we think of ants' cities as parts of nature, but we think of our cities as not. And really, the reason for that is because ants make their cities out of dirt and wood and yeah. stuff. Like <laughs> right, if we yeah. if we built skyscrapers out of bamboo, would people would people think of them as natural? Even though iron comes from nature, yeah, plastic exactly. Plastic is made out of natural components. Yeah, um, and yeah.
1: they and they're done through like natural they're synthesized and stuff and stuff through like natural means that happen in nature anyway yeah so yeah like we're not we're not
0: breaking the laws of physics when we make steel beams and glass plates we are yeah we are still confined by the laws of nature and if we broke the laws of of reality to make those things then that would prove that our description of the laws of reality were false because the very like concept of a law of nature a law of reality is that like that is the confines of our universe so like nothing we do in this world is outside of nature in my opinion it is all just a different expression of nature itself
1: yeah i i i think i I actually of course i share that opinion and i think that's something you would see a bit in Maharika as well because like you know the mechs are made out of like a strange wood like substance
0: yeah i remember reading that and i was like fuck yes weird wood (laughs) mechs give it to me
1: yeah i love those um so yeah they would have wood and then of course they would have like metal platings and stuff like that but they're like skeletons are like these humanoid root like you know uh, abstract art. Um because I you know, I was kind of inspired by looking at the roots of, of trees when I was walking down my uh, my um my neighborhoods, my my the streets that I walk on. And you know, you know how like they sometimes look like humans? Yeah. Like that are like trapped underneath the trees. Yes. I was like, yo, that's really cool. And I was also inspired by this this Filipino artist named Jeff Mikel who made uh mangrove mangrove mechs. Uh, mangrove mechs and hard and philippine ironwood mechs that were so cool and I was like yo we could make an like, an entire game out of this so yeah that's why um this is actually one of also the one of the main impetuses of, of Marlika is that I like I like the concept of wood mechs a lot. Um and, I yeah, yeah I love it.
0: I love how much of your experience of your culture has been filtered through into the into the game. Um, I think that is I think that's really awesome and like how much of your connection to the places around you has flown flowed into that like you're talking about the trees there and the artists yeah. that you know and know of. I grew um, I
1: grew up when I was a kid I did grow up kind of like in the countryside. So um well not countryside but like not exactly urban centers, right? Rural
0: would yeah, be rural. The, rural is the term in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rural.
1: Um but yeah, uh, we i lived in more rural neighborhoods which had more greenery and stuff like that and i didn't exactly grow up around like huge towering skyscrapers and and you know stuff like that uh, i like open fields um and then when i moved eventually into the city um with my family um i i i, ad- I adapted to it eventually mm-hmm. although i really didn't like you know a lot of the you know, the, the density population, you know, Manila is super, is such a, such a dense city. Um, I feel
0: like, uh, yeah, Manila is denser than any city we would have in Australia because yeah, it's such a small population. Although now I'm tempted, now I wonder what the population <laughs> difference is. <laughs> yeah, um, check, but check but it continue. out because
1: like Manila is so dense. Like it's right, if I remember correctly, it's like right behind like the Indian cities in density. And that's crazy because Manila, Metro Manila isn't even that big. You know, it's like such a he- small part of Philippines. And the yeah. Philippines is such a huge archipelago. Uh, obviously, not as large as Indonesia or whatever, but it's still, it's, it's actually still technically larger than the United Kingdom. So, the,
0: the, the population of Metro Manila is uh, comparable to the total population of Australia. See? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For those exactly. playing at home, based on. <laughs> Based on uh, I've got multiple um, sources here. One is saying twelve, almost thirteen million. Another is saying over twenty-four million. And then one yeah. says one point seven eight million, which must be like there must be a suburb in Manila <laughs> called Manila, similar to how yeah. there's London and London.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, there's, of course, there's Metro Manila and then there's Manila, the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Metro Manila encompasses, like, this huge swath of area. And then there's, like, Manila City within Metro Manila.
0: Yeah, indeed. So, um, yeah, that's what's, that's, what, that's what's happening with this Google result. Yeah. As, as someone
1: who's lived in Metro Manila, I would err on the side of the higher number. Yeah.
0: Um just because
1: it's so dense in here and uh it's only getting worse as more and more people
0: The um, 12 the the 13 million number is from 2015. So the 24 million is probably um a more recent projection yeah, or based definitely. on a different thing.
1: Um people have, there've have been like projections from like traffic people and like you know people that deal in like road works and stuff like that. Um mm-hmm. they they've been projecting that by 2050 uh, Manila would be, like, constantly gridlocked. Like, it, <laughs> you could never move in Manila anymore.
0: When I uh, went to Shanghai, not Shanghai, to Beijing. I mean, I also went to Shanghai. But when I went to Beijing in um, 2016, our tour guide was talking about how, like, the number of cars had drastically changed in, like, the space of two years. and how they went from having like relatively no traffic to like gridlock um and i mean the way that china deals with that is they have a, a lottery if you're like essentially in beijing if your number plate ends with an even number you can drive on these days and if you're
1: oh yeah and if
0: it ends with an odd number you can drive on these days and then there's like yeah. a couple of days of the week that are, I think Sunday or something that is like randomized yep um, they have
1: we, we actually have that as well in Metro Manila it's called coding right so like if your plate number ends in like this you can't drive from like 11 to 7 um you know, chat and stuff like that. I, and I think, you know, that's just the interesting part is that you know it, it feels like it's not gonna stop, especially with like the ever increasing sort of neoliberal policies in the Philippines, bad urban planning and just, you know, capitalism in general.
0: And then of course you're gonna have the the uh the what is the word I'm looking for here? You're gonna start feeling the effects of climate change as well on that yeah, uh, aspect. Definitely. You're gonna I mean Manila certainly doesn't look very hilly, and that waterfront <laughs> image that they're using on this uh, Wikipedia article sure <laughs> looks low lying. Yep, uh, um, it's it's horribly. Uh, it's actually, you know, there was like horrible times. flooding and stuff last yeah, year, right?
1: Horrible. Um, what do you call this? The in pre-colonial times, Manila was a swamp. Manila is a swamp. I mean, yeah. Um, they're just building c- concretes over like streams and rivers and stuff like that. It's not gonna end well for sure. Yeah, <laughs> if, no, If definitely... uh, on the trajectory that we're going right now, um, you know, the Manila is gonna, m- you know, there's projections that Manila will be overflooded uh, with the trajectory of like climate change and stuff like that. Um, people would have to evacuate up further. There, actually, if I remember correctly, there was talks already back in like the 1900s. Uh, sometime that, that sometime in that time where they wanted to move the capital of the, of the Philippines of the nation to Quezon city, which is a bit up further away mm-hmm. from the Bay because Manila is so close to the Bay that it might get flooded.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, um, obviously this is an interesting tangent to us. Um, I, uh, it does raise an interesting question for me. Um, obviously in, Australia we have a growing um a growing uh impetus to listen to our uh indigenous population who obviously this is fresh in my mind because yesterday was invasion day where we mm-hmm. um where we are asked by the indigenous people to like think about where where f- where we have come from and the bloody path that has led yep. to this colonial enterprise um, And uh, a growing part of climate um, action in Australia is understanding that there is no climate justice without uh, Indigenous sovereignty and without Indigenous justice um, and justice for our First Nations people. I'm wondering, um, is there... We talked about corruption and the life rays in the archipelago. Is there a... Do you think that perhaps there's a reflection or a reading of climate justice to be had there?
1: Mm, yeah. Okay. That's 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 definitely interesting. I th- uh, there is a um, mega corporation, like one of the mega corporations, which uh, I personally thought as like the the more uh, protagonistic of the of the corporations, but that you know that's just my bias is pushing through, because uh, this this mega corp- is called uh, G-H-W-S um, and they and they focus basically on nature they're all about nature they're all about protecting the planets that still have Dewata in them because some planets don't have Dewata in them anymore because mm. um, each planet has a like a Dewata a planetary Dewata um and that dewata can be killed, and if that dewata is killed, the planet sort of dies along with it. Um so yeah, they're kind of tasked with like protecting nature and stuff like that. Um they are inspired by like the rebel movements here in the in the Philippines, as well as like the indigenous people here in the Philippines. Um that's why they they're they're like mecca names, they're like frame names, are like based on uh they're like based on mythology and folklore. That is from the Philippines, uh, from indigenous folk. Um, and Ginhawa Sibal is all about basically, yeah, it's basically about um, trying to rectify mistakes, um, the trying to educate the people there, especially the mega corporations, about how their actions aren't helping any of these planets, which all have people and people living in them. Um, the Ginhawa Sibal don't. Exa- they they also don't like um fight for the people of those planets, but instead they kind of like uplift the people in those planets.
0: And give um, them the give... tools to fight their own fight. Is that what you're yeah exactly?
1: Right? That's how that's basically how Gen Houseable kind of expands. Instead, you know, they give them the idea that. You know, you don't have to keep being farmers to the rich people in the other megacorps, and then they give them, like, mechs and stuff like that. Um, it,
0: it's interesting. That actually kind of relates to something that Pemu was talking about when I interviewed uh, them as part of the Outshores stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Pemu was talking about how the purpose of the Outshores Kickstarter is to give... Inst- instead of like putting people from the philippines onto projects is giving uh, well not just from the philippines from southeast asia um giving them the tools to bring their own projects uh, to fruition I, I don't know there's a nice kind of symmetry there i guess or yeah, a nice yeah, yeah. like connection you're kind <laughs> of doing the same thing there with the the providing them with the tools not even necessarily the tools, providing them with the resources to do the thing that they want to do and giving them that determination rather than like forcing them into a different kind of colonialism, right
1: yeah exactly that's like that's an important thing that I wanted to to sort of bake in as well into the setting, and that's why you know i have I have a sort of not fear but I have like a a gut a gut instinct, i guess like a gut thinking. Uh, I don't know how to, how to phrase that feeling, but yeah, I got feeling that um, a lot of people will side eventually with like uh, Ginhawa Sibel because they are kind of like the most altruistic of the factions, um, as well as because you know the the other mega corporations are just so overtly obviously you know harmful. <laughs> um, so SDSK is the fascistic state uh, state weapon basically, right? Um, under the guise of like protecting humanity. Um, The megacorp of KLL, um, the corporation of, it's called Corporation ng Libong Linti, which translates to the Corporation of a Thousand Lightnings. Um, They're sort of like the ones that uh, provide energy. uh,
0: Oh,
1: Yeah, to the... to the <laughs> to the galaxy and stuff like that.
0: I, course, I I don't trust an energy corporation. Yeah,
1: exactly, and they have a monopoly on on energy. Yeah, uh, which is something that's also happening in the Philippines. We have Meralco, uh, but yeah, um, that's 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 their thing. And then there's like Comsa, which is like the telecommunications hacker. Um, uh, sort of mega corporation. They have access to the internet, basically the spiritual internet. that inter- oh, that was entire. something
0: that we kind of didn't really. Oh, I wish we'd had the time to talk about that, actually, <laughs> but we're almost out of time. Basic, yeah. I yeah. just
1: for the first virtual internet. Uh, I guess what I would just say is that it is inspired by the older depictions of it from like uh, Gibson's. Uh, mm neuromancer because neuromancer yep. is a big inspiration as well to neuromancer and stuff like you know ghost in the shell and stuff like that um
0: i mean yeah. ghost in the shell is yeah the, it, the the visual representation of the internet on that is pretty amazing i yeah. mean i'm also thinking of jo- the johnny mnemonic the movie oh yeah yeah, yeah i fucking love the way the internet looks in that mm-hmm. oh it's so good and the geometric puzzles for um passcodes in uh johnny mnemonic is great too
1: Yeah, yeah. that's how that's how the spiritual internet works as well, kinda. It's all just like spiritual data that's in like gray, fuzzy, uh, fuzzy gray blocks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You would have to traverse through it, and you would have like, uh, you know, the ones that are like uh, attuned to the internet are like also the shamans of the setting, because you know it's the spirit. It's the it's like a it's like an internet that takes advantage of the
0: ubiquitousness
1: and the omnipresence of the spiritual world.
0: That's so sick. Obviously I'm into that. Um, <laughs> it is a shame that we have to call an end to our interview because I could yeah. very clearly continue talking about this for like hours. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a blast. Um, where can people follow you and find out more about um, your games and your work? Cause this is amazing stuff. And I think everyone's going to, I think you, you, everyone listening needs to go and follow you on whatever the social platforms you've got. So call it out.
1: All right. Yeah, definitely. You can find me on Twitter as liquor canini. Um, you can also find my itch as under this. Um, it's not under the same name. It's under tadhana.itch.io. that itch that will,
0: we'll have a link to it down below so they can find you on Twitter itch anywhere else.
1: Yeah, I think it's just the best one because it's like the main storefront for most of the stuff I put out from books to games to to you know, to stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, that's that's basically where you can find me. I don't really go around yeah. the social media too much. Cool. Yeah.
0: Uh, and and obviously, please go and check out the Our Shores Kickstarter. Um, and remember, if you can't give monetary support, you can lend your voice uh, to the project and share it with people uh make personal recommendations don't just like blanket send out a tweet with just the link in it send it to people directly give your recommendation tell people why you're ex why you are excited for the project uh and for the kickstarter that sort of stuff is what brings people in that is what gets people to uh subscribe to fun stuff uh mm-hmm. go and check out the kickstarter link down below it has been a pleasure talking to you uh, I cannot wait to talk to you again on when you release future projects. Um, I also can't wait to send you a copy of my Mech game when it's ready. Oh, yeah. Uh, to I have can, a look yeah, at. I look forward to that. Uh, yeah. yeah. It has been a pleasure. Um, if you enjoyed listening to this interview, uh, we have two others uh, with creators uh, on the Our shows Kickstarter. You can find those uh, in the sidebar or by clicking on the interviews tab or tag uh you can also uh find actual plays from us over on our website or on anywhere where this podcast is hosted um thank you so much again uh for being on the show and i hope you all enjoyed listening uh farewell (coughs) from the past i'm ray